Hey, Consumed Listener, this is your host, Jamie Lewis. Before I start this episode, can I ask you a little favor? Will you please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and or review Consumed? It helps other like-minded people find the podcast and it gives love to the folks who sponsor it. And listen, if you don't have anything nice to say, well, just imagine me channeling your mother here, okay? Okay, here's the episode and thank you. It's Consumed, the conversational food and wine podcast covering the flavor of California's Central Coast and beyond. This season, I'm covering lots of different eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, including a mushroom expert, the team behind San Luis Obispo County's first Michelin star, a family of winemakers, an outspoken wine and food critic, a culinary-obsessed high school student, local food activists, pupusa enthusiasts, state historians, and more. Hungry? Thirsty? Let's get consumed. Claire Tui Mote and Ellen Burke are members of the San Luis Obispo County Food Systems Coalition, a community based organization whose goal is to promote a sustainable, equitable, profitable, resilient, and health promoting food system. From my perspective, the FSC brings all the players to the table to help everyone thrive, including consumers and farmers, those who are food insecure, government, nonprofits, and the community at large. They assess the strengths and weaknesses of the system and form work groups to address policy. I am fascinated by how much Claire and Ellen know about our local food economy, and I think you will be too. To learn more about the Slow County Food Systems Coalition, to donate to the good work they're doing, and to download a copy of the beautiful San Luis Obispo County Food Systems Atlas, authored by Ellen, visit slowfoodsystem.org. Here's my interview with Claire Tuimote and Ellen Burke. Let's start with something that's pretty easy to talk about. Let me ask you each where you grew up and like, what was it like for you to grow up? Were you super into food? Were you really into systems, into environmental issues? Claire, what about you? So I actually grew up in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to high school right down the road (laughs) at Mission High. And uh, yes, I was always into food. I in high school, I was interested in becoming a pastry chef, maybe going to culinary school, but then I decided I wanted to get a degree. So I went to Cal Poly and I studied food science as my undergrad. Yeah. And I worked in that industry for about seven years uh, and then I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, um, I got a master's in sustainable food systems because I became very interested in small agriculture and sustainability and food access and how all of those things were interconnected. So my degree really addressed that. And I, and then when I moved back to Slow County, uh, I found the Food System Coalition, which really addresses all of those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was finishing my graduate degree at that, at that point. So it, it really, uh, came together easily. Yeah. yeah. So it already existed when you came on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause this is the, our 10th year of right. existence. Yeah. Right. Um, Ellen, what about you? So I grew up in uh, Miami, Florida, and then mm. in the Dominican Republic. Um, oh, wow. and I, yes, it's never an easy answer where I'm from, <laughs> but, um, my dad was a chef, a professional chef, um, for hotels, which is why we were in these locations. And so, I always was interested in food, and food was, um, I think, in my family was a lot about love, like that was expressing love through food. Um, And in the Dominican Republic, there's, um, you know, it's very undeveloped at the time I was living there, and you're just surrounded by farm fields, and you really um, see sort of small-scale agriculture, but also the big sugarcane production, mm-hmm. just like miles and miles of sugarcane production. Um, but it wasn't an original um, goal of mine. I studied film studies, mm-hmm. and I worked in film, and then I transitioned into landscape architecture, and it was when I came back um, into thinking about this relationship between cities and the built environment and suburbs and our food supply and even the, the literal ways that... Um, cities and 
urban and rural areas butt up against each other yeah. that I became interested in food systems and began researching it mm-hmm. um, as part of my profession, trying to understand how we could better support urban agriculture or um, in really large parks, setting aside land for farms. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved here in 2014, I found the Food System Coalition just wanting to be um, involved in the community in mm-hmm. general, but in a, in a passion area of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we discovered that we went to the same college. Mm-hmm. We did. And we were even there at the same time, at least a little bit. We were, yes. So you did film studies. What did you think you wanted to do with that? I want, Well, I wanted to be a um, cinematographer, and mm-hmm. then I learned, back then was pre-digital, I learned really quickly that I did not have the on-the-fly math skills. Like, once I started oh. working, it was a very complicated set of calculations done under pressure in a second, and I knew that wasn't for me. So I was working in set design mm-hmm. and um, prop design. Hmm for um, about five years. Did you do any theater classes? I didn't, no. Okay. I I went in for theater. I wound up studying architecture history in the art history department, but um, the only class I ever failed was was stagecraft. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I told my husband, he's like, what? How did you do that? Well, it turns out you have to show up. (laughs) Fair enough. That that does help. (laughs) So... So Food Systems Coalition has been around for 10 years. You're celebrating your 10th anniversary. So you both, I didn't realize you both came in after it had already mm-hmm. existed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So who founded that? That um, is a great question. Lots um, of people. Lots of people. Yeah. So it was a coalition, um, I think, led by the food bank mm-hmm. um, with other community uh, groups and um, nonprofits and agencies, uh, government agencies like public health looking at the question of hunger in Mm. this community. Um, And they had funding to do a hunger-free community study. Mm -hmm. Um, And they published... So this was um, Jen Miller and Mm. Becca Carcel and Joel Deringer are the ones Mm -hmm. that I can remember their names off the top of my head. Um, They published a document called Paradox of Plenty, which I think really still informs what we do this... um, getting at the idea that on the surface, Slow County is, you know, it's, it's rich and abundant, it's abundant yep. and we grow so much food and there's such a thriving, you know, local wine and food yeah. um, culture. But in that narrative and in that reality, who's being left out? And in mm-hmm. fact, a lot of people are being left out, um, including um, consumers, but also producers. And at that point, they were really focusing on the 20% of the population that's food insecure, yeah. um, which remains, I believe, we're still at 20% yeah. um, 10 years later. Um, people who just don't know for sure that they're going to get a meal three times a day um, because of earnings or how expensive it is to live here or um, a number of factors. And in that study, The Paradox of Plenty, they really highlighted a similar statistic to what we were talking about earlier, that it's estimated that um, Slow County grows enough, the farmers grow enough food enough produce for seven pounds per person per day correct me if i'm wrong claire Toledo. (laughs) but only three percent of that stays in county um, because it's mostly um geared towards export Mm -hmm. Um, and so the at that point the idea i think of, of highlighting these disparities was like wouldn't it be great if we could start to close the loop and bring some of that um abundance of produce (laughs) to people who are struggling here in the community and I think programs that came out of that like Glean Slow at the food bank really such a great program you know we're able to find a way to start to close that that loop yeah Yeah. maybe explain Glean Slow a little bit because I don't think everybody this is not um this is not a sexy discussion you know people (laughs) don't people don't usually want to talk about this Mm -hmm. or think about it Right. Generally, my job in in my day job, I'm writing about how abundant and wonderful mm-hmm. it is here. Mm-hmm. But it always, every time, comes back to me that there are people who are not reaping the rewards of living here, like right. not at all. Yeah. And uh, part of the reason I started this podcast was to kind of puncture that smug mm-hmm. smugness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 
I think I've done a good job at that, actually, just asking certain kinds of folks who come and mm-hmm. um, have a different perspective maybe on, on what it is like to live on the Central Coast. But um, explain Glean Slow a little bit. What just in, in you know, a nutshell. Sure, yeah. It's, it's a program. It actually started separate from the food bank, but now they're very, very much um, coexisting together, working together. They, they are a volunteer um, geared organization that goes out to uh, commercial farms who have extra produce that they can't sell or can't harvest or for whatever reason can't get out of the field. Mm-hmm. So the Glean Slow volunteers will go out and harvest those things and bring them back to the food bank and the food bank will distribute those. And they, they go to farms, but they also go to homes. You know, if, if even if a home has two lemon trees, but they are inundated with lemons Mm -hmm. uh, and the, and the owners can't deal with all that fruit, uh, Gleanslow will send out some volunteers to collect that and just keep keep that food from going to waste and mm-hmm. give it to needy families. So. I love that. We have a couple persimmon trees in this neighborhood yeah. right now. It's like, I've got to <laughs> call Glean's look because it's just like they're dropping and they're kind of the jelly mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. splatting all over the street. Yeah, yeah. And they're so beautiful. You know, yeah. it's persimmons are notorious for that and you can see them because they lose their leaves and yeah. then there's all this fruit and yeah, it's yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> How much persimmon jam do I want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many persimmon cookies can I make? Yeah. yeah. Well, so food system coalition, we were talking earlier, it's a hard thing to describe, right? It's a hard thing to put, you know, in a sound bite, mm-hmm. but maybe give it your best shot. What does FSC do? Mm-hmm. So we um, convene, people in the county who are working towards a more sustainable and just food system. And those are largely nonprofit organizations like the food bank, um, also county government like the public health department, um, and then uh, smaller agencies. um, And we convene them around education. Um, We do four quarterly meetings on um, public meetings. Anyone's welcome to come. around a topic that we feel is important to our membership. We also have work groups that pick like very um, actionable items and work on them. Um, and we do research. We've published um, either on our own or with our collaborators, published six reports about different mm-hmm. aspects of the food system. Again, these sort of less talked about aspects yeah. of how our food system is working. Um, what else do Paradox we do? Paradox of Plenty being one of those, I Par- think, right? Being the first one, correct, mm-hmm. yes. Um, Such a great name. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah it, it is. really gets at this this question of um, so much abundance and yet so much need at the same time, and how mm-hmm. do we um, resolve these? So, we've also, so there was also the um, Slow County Food System Assessment, which um, hired researchers from UC Davis to come do a study um, under the four pillars that later became the pillars we adopted, which mm-hmm. are um, equity and access. Correct me when I get when I lose it, Claire. <laughs> Resilience, profitability, and um, health. Health. I'm health. just looking. Yes. At, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I need my cliff notes. I know <laughs> it's hard to remember. And um, we've done most recently. We published the um, we published a policy report that came out of a meeting, what are the policies at a local level, a state level, and a national level that affect how we serve our communities Mm. um, in the food system. Mm. And then we have the food system atlas, um, which I meant to bring you a copy. What is that? I'll send you a copy. um, It was the result of a year-long research um, project that was community outreach. We... um, talked to consumers, you know, where are you getting your food? How much do you know about where your food comes from? We talked to um, growers, the grower community, um, Mm -hmm. or I should say like the farm worker community down in Nipomo. What struggles are you facing? Mm -hmm. Is it easy for you to get enough food every um, month? What do you eat? You know, what are you looking for that's not not available to you? You're talking about the people who are harvesting Mm -hmm. And asking what they mm, eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it what they're harvesting? No. No. In general? No. Yeah. That right, reminds me. Uh, Shin, I think it's called Shenzhen 
Zenshin, in China where they make iPhones. Mm-hmm. And the people who are making the iPhones can't afford mm-hmm. an iPhone. That yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Or they're growing, you know, cauliflower, and they wish they could have um, chiles, or you know, I, yeah. I don't exactly, you know, it's, it's the cultural appropriateness of the food, mm-hmm. the mix match of what there's a market for, and then what um, they would know or hope to eat. Yeah. Um, and then it was also a lot of mapping. So we used a lot of data um, from the county, from the state. Um, data sets we collected about these relationships, you know, um, finding, and there's, they're just sort of simple-minded, I guess, when you look at them, mm-hmm. but um, all the farms, the majority of the farms in the county are located in the valleys over aquifers, mm-hmm. right? There's a definite spatial pattern to um, where farming happens. It can't just happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very small amount when you look at the map compared to how much mountain region we have Um, but looking also at these uh, the export and import patterns Mm -hmm. um, the way we're in between these two big metropolises um, researching where it's really fun it's like um, none of the large grocery stores around here their warehouses are all at least 200 miles away the closest one Um, but we found this common misperception that people said well what do you mean I like you mean the food that's that I drive past isn't just in my local no. Trader Joe's or Ralph's. And we're like, no, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. I want to take a minute to shout out to a couple of good friends of this podcast. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, cargo storage containers, and refrigerated shipping containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods, for private collections, and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root cellars. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. Slow Life magazine also sponsors the Consumed podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo, including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up my food column on crepes, which you may know as a French street food, but did you know that every February 2nd is the day of the crepe? In France on that holiday, people try to flip a crepe in the pan with their non-dominant hand, and if they do it, they're guaranteed a year of prosperity. See? You can learn so much from Slow Life Magazine. Get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. So I just learned a term, local washing, which sometimes mm-hmm. um, the Vons or whatever, I don't mean to pick on Vons, but um, <laughs> it's just what came to mind. Yeah. They will have a sign mm-hmm. that says local underneath whatever, mm-hmm. like Italian squash or whatever. Right. Now, I don't know this for certain on every single one, but I have heard that it will often go to a packing facility mm-hmm. 200 miles mm-hmm. away and then come back mm-hmm. with a sign that says local. Right. I could be, that could be a rumor, yeah. but something tells me that that's not impossible. Right. You know, that no, that might I happen. Think, uh, yeah. And, and those, I think those larger corporations, they have, they're sort of tied to the channels that have already been forged in mm-hmm. a sense. So they... It's not like they can call an audible and just call up a farmer, a local farmer, and say, "Hey, can you deliver these mm-hmm. things to my store?" Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, there's small. I want to shout out to the small locally owned grocery stores like yeah. the Food Co-op and sponsor, yeah. sponsor. Oh consent. yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, podcast. I didn't plant that. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, but I just think they're like, the coolest. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and just you know. Uh, I live in a Tascadero, so Gather Natural Market also yes. sources very mm-hmm. locally. And um, so if anybody's interested in buying those local products. Right, uh, right, where the channels are more immediate. Right, right? yeah, and you can't, you can't make it to Farmer's Market that week mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. And it's not actually greenwashing. Technically, they are, it is local if it's within a 
There's different definitions. One is right. 200 mile. In California, that it's like if it's from California, it can be considered local. Yeah. Um, but we, in our interviews, also and the third part of the atlas, so it was the production and the access and then the distribution. We interviewed um, 25 small farmers, very small independent farmers, and they all said it's just so hard to sell mm. that, you know, we're we're sort of locked out of farmer's markets because farmer's markets has this long waiting list and a lot of those folks, dirty secret coming out now, are actually from the Central Valley. They're not local here, Mm -hmm. um, but they have precedence and seniority Mm -hmm. in the markets. Mm -hmm. And we can't do the paperwork and, you know, we can't keep on top of all that paperwork and insurance and regulatory requirements Mm -hmm. to even get into Whole Foods, which um, used to be a big buyer, um, apparently, before they were purchased by Amazon. Mm -hmm. Whole Foods used to buy um, locally more. But they said it's just a struggle. Like, we can't uh, really access distribution. So I I think you're right. It it is, you know, they're just selling it to a big aggregator that takes it all down somewhere, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. repacks it, and sends it back to us. Prohibitive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. prohibitive. I, I think about Jerry... I always call him Jerry Rutiz, but he mm-hmm. calls himself Rutas. Jerry mm-hmm. Rutas down mm-hmm. in AG, who um, has struggled with the concept of organic a lot because he's, you know, he he's, doesn't have time to apply, get the inspectors, the multiple mm-hmm. inspectors, mm-hmm. all the audits, everything. Mm-hmm. But he's growing without the use of any kind of chemical mm-hmm. pesticide, anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he does, but he doesn't have that marketing bit. Mm-hmm. Then he can't say organic and. Right that is a sales piece, you know, mm-hmm. and you can demand higher prices mm-hmm. and yeah. um, he just doesn't have that at his disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's the majority of our small farmers right. in this county, that most of them are practicing organic, but they, again, they don't have the, the time, the mm-hmm. resources to do all the inspections and paperwork and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of our aims in that research was, and it hasn't come to fruition yet, but it doesn't mean it can't. Like, how could the food system coalition support, like, if 30 or 40 small farmers can't do this independently, is there a way to help um, create a framework where it's being done for all of them? You know, and and that hasn't come to fruition yet, but this, mm-hmm. you know, is there a way to support these farmers? Um, from, I call, you know, uh, Jerry Rude, Rudis was one of the people we interviewed, and uh, and I, if he's listening, I hope I'm. He would uh, have to be somebody you interviewed. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping I'm paraphrasing him correctly, but he was sort of like, well, you know, what do I need from you guys, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know how to farm. Mm-hmm. I know how to run a farm. I know how to run a farm business. Like, right. you're uh, like city folk, right? And you're, you know, <laughs> but there are skills, you know website, um, social media, paperwork, like this is our realm, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's one of the the reasons we did that research was how, what are the opportunities for, um, yeah, creating systems that can Mm -hmm. get us over this hump, you know, so it's not another 10 years later, we're we're like, oh, well, they still don't have access to markets or can't figure out the organic part. Right. I mean, I I wouldn't go easy on yourself because 10 years, if you think about you know, from the industrial age to now, mm-hmm, that's true. In a certain way, you're trying to undo mm-hmm. so much of that, mm-hmm. or or not undo it, but work with it. And it takes time to do yeah. that and to build relationships, mm-hmm. um, even amongst your, you know, the people who are in your corner. Mm-hmm. It takes time to yeah, do that yeah. for sure. And there's a lot of policies, mm-hmm. you know, that are from that era that are still in place. Um, that you have to learn how to navigate and policy. I took a class in my uh, master's program on policy, and it is complicated. And it, um, oh gosh, and I don't, I don't envy anybody mm-hmm. who spends a lot of time doing that. But uh, you know, most recently from that policy report that we published, uh, we have a, a work group as part of the the Food System Coalition that's focused on policy, on okay. food policy. So they. They have been discussing what they want to uh, go after first or what they want to look at first, and they've settled on the um, farm worker and Latinx community mm-hmm. in our in our county, and they're really looking at uh, farm worker housing in the county because mm-hmm. there's there's not very much for them to, uh, that they can afford here. Right. Uh, a lot of them are, are actually living outside of the county yeah. and, and commuting in, so... Um, 
So they're working on that now. Yeah, I think that's important. So I was going to ask you about those work groups. So one mm-hmm. of them, how many do you have? Six? We have three right now. Oh, sorry, three. Okay. But I know where you got that. We've had six overall yeah. in the lifetime. I'm right. sure that evolves quite a bit. But we have three active bit. ones. Yeah. 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 yeah, because they meet their purpose and then they, right. they go away. Yeah. So policy being one, mm-hmm. which... Thank you, people who are thinking. <laughs> yes, about that. exactly. Yeah. What are the other two right now? The uh, the other two have to do with food access. So one of them is the EBT at Farmers Market mm-hmm. uh, work group, and the other one is the CalFresh Alliance. So the EBT at Farmers Market, they uh, EBT is CalFresh, which is the state food benefits program. Mm-hmm. So uh, and the EBT cards are like credit cards that you can swipe and get and buy food with. So most of our county farmers markets, a lot of them, uh, uh, accept EBT now because of this, the work of this work That's group. That's what I thought. You've been very successful there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think out of, I think there's 15 f- farmers markets in the county and the eight, eight of them uh, are accepting EBT now. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a great program that uh, they've been able to get through the state called market match. And, folks are able to double the their dollars at the market wow up, up to $15 that's amazing yeah so they can access local food uh and super healthy and uh and the other group the CalFresh Alliance so Cal, uh, Slow County has one of the lowest enrollments of eligible folks huh. uh in CalFresh so meaning even though there's a lot of a lot more eligible people in the county, there's not a high enrollment. So that group, work group is trying to work with different agencies that you know um, administer CalFresh benefits, like the um, Department of Social S- Social Services mm-hmm. uh, and Public Health, and uh, a, a few other partners to to try and figure out what the barriers are to enrollment and and help people overcome those barriers when you talk about the low enrollment per capita or like per eligible yeah person what is why do you have any theories as to why that's so low here well i i mean we, it's not just theories like we know that um one of the reasons is you have to present in the office i think that still hasn't been removed you have to go in person and in other counties you can call in mm. um, oh yes that would be and, you know, sometimes it's like a worker loses um, work for a week or 10 days. And in that week or 10 days, if you're living, you know, paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, paycheck yeah. you're not going to, you know, it's, you don't have a savings account to go to, but it takes so long to get approved. The process has so many steps. And I guess it's just run differently county by county in California mm-hmm. um, that it may take longer than 10 days. And then they've found work and gone back to work. But in that gap. Period, and especially with with like farm workers, where it's um, comes and goes, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people not being served. What are, yeah. do you know other reasons? There's also so <laughs> when I was a master's student, I actually uh, wanted to go through the process of applying for CalFresh because a I knew it would help me because yeah. mm-hmm. I was paying for graduate school, yeah. and b I wanted to be able to see mm-hmm. you know what the process was like, Smart. and then and then I you know, use that research, so to speak, um, for, for my class that I was taking. And you have to, you have to present a lot of paperwork, um, Mm -hmm. to apply. Um, so, and they do have a lot of resources in Spanish, but you know, if there's a language barrier, that's one thing. Um, transportation barrier too. Exactly. Literacy barrier. If you're you're not comfortable with written forms. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to have a a bunch of paperwork, proof of income, you know, a document that shows how much rent you're paying. Uh, you have to tell them how many bills you have per month, you know, with internet, phone, whatever other bills you have. Um, and then they do a calculation and then, you know, they'll tell you how much you're eligible for the, the amount. Um, you know, so if you, if you don't have that paperwork or you don't know how to get your rental agreement paperwork, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, it's, um, it, it takes you a little while, and then you have to be able to have a printer and print these things out right. and bring the oh hard gosh, documents. We barely have that figured yeah, out here. Exactly. No, so. but I mean, from my perspective, I think that those requirements are important in terms of knowing, 
you know, um, for the agency to know mm-hmm. what they're looking at. Right, exactly. But yeah. it sounds to me like just the accessibility to even get into the system is super mm-hmm. prohibitive. Right. So, right. Are, so are you all working then to help people or to help agencies help people? Is that part of what you do? It, in that, um, on, for that work group, it works both ways. So we, um, the work group creates documents that people who are service providers can hand out and say, like, hey, here's how you do it. Yeah. And this is another barrier that people talked about in our last meeting, or our February meeting, is that the rules constantly change. And so for the agencies even to stay on top of these changes. Um, so they hand out, you know, here's the information. Here's how you can get the benefits you are entitled to. Um, this, a lot of this work is around seniors as well. There's yeah, further right. complications with Social Security benefits. Um, and then we're, the group also works with uh, Department of Social Services as part of it to, in this lengthy process to say how do we actually change the systems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we remove the barriers instead of just educating people about how to attack yeah. the barriers or overcome the barriers <laughs> yes. from the lo- from the low end up? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that like makes my head spin to think about <laughs> it's so much. Yeah. I mean, I I'll be totally transparent. I'm not on any of these work groups because policy. These are all essentially policy. Right based. now, that's like the heart of what is happening. It, well, it's it takes you know you need to change the policy to make totally. um, make the difference in these three cases, and that. Uh, you know, I'll be transparent. That's not my forte, so I'm really thankful to the people who are showing up in these groups and making a difference that way. Yeah. What is your forte? What do you bring to it? Um, I think I bring to the organization, organization, um, <laughs> honestly. Um, I'm very organized, but I also just trying to focus on the communication and getting um, People who do have means and who are benefiting, reaping from the the plenty Mm -hmm. of our county, um, Mm -hmm. to start to care about it, to to be interested, um, to figure out how they could help. Whether that's um, and I'm just gonna do this a few times because we Mm -hmm. have transitioned from we used to be an organization that was within the food bank and we didn't need to worry about our funding Mm -hmm. and. Because of COVID, um, we have become a separate fiscally sponsored organization, fiscally sponsored by Ecologistics. So now we have to do things like say, we'd love it if people supported us and our work and the work of our work groups financially, Um, you know, but just educating people about what these real food streams are, what the the hardships are, right? you know what the reality is if there's three or four families living in one home and how you yeah. you know how do you even start talking about like well what's your internet bill like that's just <laughs> that's a reality that's not even in their their realm um and, and it's so, not an extra either sorry to interrupt but like no, the internet i think a lot of people especially um what we call digital um immigrants mm-hmm. those of us who knew what it was like before the internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the temptation is to be like, well, so they mm-hmm. don't need the internet mm-hmm. and they don't need a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And the truth is to operate in our world mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. and to get ahead, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. have, to even attempt the American dream, you need those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, just okay. anyway, the little yeah. aside there, but yes, mm-hmm. continue. But yeah, so like I, I started in this role as, um, what is my position? She is the chair <laughs> of our steering chair of committee. the steering committee um, <laughs> last February, and it was or February of 2020. 2020, and it was a big surprise coming to me. Holy cow! In March February of 2020, 2020. Yeah. I was signing up like, oh, I'm, we're just going to organize these right. meetings. Yeah. You know, keep educating our people, supporting them to do great work that they do out in the community, mm-hmm. um, and. And then everything changed with our funding, and everything changed with how our meetings worked. And um, I've been really focusing on, on opportunities like this, like getting the yeah. word out there, um, getting more um, visible in the community, not just for ourselves, but for the fact that these problems exist. Because mm-hmm. documents like Paradox of Plenty are amazing, but if no one reads them or knows they exist, (laughs) then we're just still, you know, helping, we're helping ourselves to make better arguments to government funders about the need for USDA grants. But I think um, the idea of uh, the food systems is to look at it holistically. And 
you know, we can do more than just get government grants if we can get more people mobilized around this, these issues here. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Now hear this. Wine and Spirits magazine named their top 100 wineries of 2021, and the good people at Native Nine Wines in Santa Maria made the list. Not only are they among the top 100 wineries in the world, they are also one of 10 producers from the Central Coast on that list. So side note, go Central Coast, a tenth of the world's top producers. Native Nine produces Pinot Noir, only Pinot Noir, from organically farmed, minimally irrigated, hand-harvested vines that owner James Onaveros planted in 1997 when he was just in his early 20s studying crop science at Cal Poly University. James grows eight Pinot Noir clones on his Rancho Onaveros vineyard, and winemaker Justin Willett shepherds the wine to bottle with a distinct focus on whole cluster fermentation. If you've been looking for the right bottle to share at the holiday table or to gift to a loved one, look for the Native Nine link on the consumed website or visit ranchosdeonaveros.com. I worked a little bit with uh, uh, there. This is going off on a weird tangent that will come back around but just even for listeners um we have a what's called a racially restrictive covenant on our home mm-hmm. so it was written into the wow. documentation when our home was built that nobody other than a white person could live here unless they were a domestic servant mm-hmm. so we went through the process of discovering how can we remove it do we want to remove it because there's other implications with historical you know mm-hmm. um anyway and got really involved in that and um ended up Testifying, I ended up testifying for the California State Senate um, and for judiciary committees because there's a bill that actually just got passed to have every time a home um, or property changes hands, there's now an opportunity to Mm -hmm. strike it right away. And so Mm -hmm. it will just be institutionalized. And as I was working with, uh, there's an organization out in Minneapolis, which was a hot seat of activity um, in the past year. Mm -hmm. But the woman I was working with is with a company, uh, an organization called Mapping Prejudice. And what Mm -hmm. they do is instead of removing covenants, they map out where Mm -hmm. they are in cities. And so as you're talking about mapping Mm -hmm. food insecurity, Mm -hmm. um, I asked this woman, her name's Dr. Delegard, I said, this feels like it's not enough. Like policy work, it feels so far so distant from the issue so many times and she said something i will never forget she said that in working through policy in mapping things out and getting the information and telling the full arc of the story you cannot drum up the political will of the people until they know what they're looking at and so Mm -hmm. i just i thought that that was so critical she's like you know you could get people doing things but if they don't know why they're Mm -hmm. doing things Mm -hmm. it will never move the needle Mm -hmm. and so i just applaud all of this all of these papers you know white papers Mm -hmm. are are just different studies that you're doing and and the boots on the ground finding where the issues Mm -hmm. are knowing where they are Mm -hmm. it will reap you will reap your Mm -hmm. reward but it could take a long time you know yeah yeah well and i'll i'll um uh, toot Ellen's horn because she won't, but um, the atlas is really beautiful. So um, mm. it's, you know, she's very visually like gifted. She designed our little postcards. Beautiful, and, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a really good resource for people to be able to visualize mm-hmm. where the food is going, who's growing it, uh, you know, where there are needs throughout the county. So. And that, again, that we released that at our February 2020 meeting, mm-hmm. and then it, you know, that's <laughs> the way the world works, and yeah. then it becomes not the relevant issue of the moment. Right, right. I know Mapping Prejudice. I love that website. Do I you teach really? it um, because they have all the historic redlining maps. Yes. And I, t- I use that as a teaching tool yep. in my classes at Cal Poly. Um, and I really, I appreciate what 
the person you're talking to is saying, because again, the system's work is like, I think we tend in our culture to be like, it's, you know, we're like forced into like, how are you going to, what are you going to do? And so it's like, I'm going to take the policy approach or I'm going to take the like direct service approach. And really in the end, it's a system. And the answer is it takes all of those approaches working together. We need the person who makes the maps. We need the person who changes the policy, the Mm -hmm. person who (laughs) goes and finds a grant to get some food to deliver it to Mm -hmm. a homebound senior. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, I think that's part part of what's so great about the Food System Coalition is that because we're collaboration or we're a hub, I think you use that mm-hmm. word, sometimes it takes us longer to get things done or to find a clear focus, but it's necessary because it's it's being informed by a bigger picture rather than having a narrow mission statement and running off and accomplishing that. Um, and I, I think systems work does take a long time to yes. change, right? If, yes. My dad always used to say, and this was related to my tendency to pile all my clothes in a corner all week (laughs) and then have to spend an hour dealing with them on the weekend. And he said, it takes the amount of time that goes into a system to undo the system, right? right. And Mm -hmm. so, um, like in the social security debate, how long have we had that? It'll take an equal amount. You know, it's not just an easy answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I hang on to when I had my babies mm-hmm. you know your body for nine months mm-hmm. undergoes this mm-hmm. massive change right. and if you think you're getting into your genes <laughs> in the hospital yeah yeah, yeah. Not happening. it takes mm-hmm. a long time to yeah. like resolve actually mm-hmm. you know um birthing a child is not unlike birthing uh you know a movement mm-hmm. and it takes there's a lot there and then there's also just like the luck factor mm-hmm. of right place, right time, right people mm-hmm. involved, and that can take right. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yes, I really appreciate that. We talk about, think about your future self. Mm-hmm. Think about, like, does your future self want to deal with the pile of clothes in the <laughs> corner of the room? No, no, yeah. she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you could spend five minutes each day or an hour on the weekend, either way, how yes, do you want to yeah. do it? <laughs> but, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, I think I'm making it sound like, oh, we haven't accomplished anything or focusing no. on the hard part. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, at the organization predating me and and predating Claire has accomplished so much in mm-hmm. growing, you know, finding the data to grow the food bank. Yes. Um, City Farm got, I think, mm-hmm. was partly established through this um, process. Cool. Um, yeah. the, all these work groups and the the change, you know, the EBT at Farmers Market, like mm-hmm. so much has been accomplished. One of our challenges is knowing exactly what those effects are because mm-hmm. people come to our meetings, mm-hmm. they are like, "Oh, you're working on the senior." food delivery delivery issues so am i and then they connect and they do something and they don't report back to us right they don't we're not um in charge of them so right right it's a little nebulous but we know that we still have 30 to 40 people come to our meetings and that's that's been true um for 10 years and we know they're meeting and working and making change happen right um and And they come to the meetings because they want to know what other mm -hmm, people are working mm -hmm, on and network and see if they can get collaboration mm-hmm. on the projects that they're working on. So, yeah. Because, again, things happen. When you're trying to make big systems change, you're not going to do it alone, right? right. And mm-hmm. so it's um, knowing the right, finding the right partners for, yeah. for the people we serve. Yep. Yeah, and, and linking them up, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a good amount of overlap, too. Mm-hmm. And so finding mm-hmm. where the, like the continuum, where mm-hmm. are the overlaps and where mm-hmm. can people do the warm handoff, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any numbers on, if you care to share them, about, um, I mean, I think one of your greatest accomplishments, it sounds like, is the EBT at the farmer's markets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like pushing that through. Mm-hmm. Do you have numbers on how effective that's been? Or, you know, have you measured if people are mm-hmm. using it? Yes. Yeah. So I can't remember them off the top of my head, but <laughs> sure. they are on our website on the work groups page. Uh, but they, yeah, I think since 2017, They've brought, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Hundreds. Is it hundreds? It's $260,000 in government. You know, so it's $260,000 spent on nutritious food. For For local farmers at Farmers. And then going growers. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, um, we have these stories to, to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Claire did this wonderful project of, 
interviewing some of our members right. and writing up um, sort of history snapshots right, right. of the Food System Coalition. And one of the people interviewed, um, Jen Miller, said, mm-hmm. you know, when we first started all this work around changing, um, this wasn't about EBT, this was about the CalFresh, but she said it really helped us to make the argument not just about poor people needing access yeah. to food, but this is money coming into, you know, a, mm-hmm. a more holistic argument. You, as a county, are turning your nose up at money that could be coming in from the federal government to support the small local farmers, mm-hmm. and so let's look at this as a win-win. Mm-hmm. And she said, I would have never made that connection from my world as, you know, she was very focused on how yeah. do we get people who need food, food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So What right. a great, yeah, a great... Um, yeah, working together, collaboration. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, let me ask you just some fun personal stuff. Uh, sure. <laughs> like, personal is never fun. No, um, it's, it's like, oh, well, it feels so serious. No, 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 I know. Um, let me ask you, Claire, at home, mm-hmm. how do you eat? I mean, do you, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but do you make it to farmer's market? Do you shop at um, Gather? I do, yeah. It's yeah. gather, not gathering. Gather, gather, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, so when I when my family moved here to San Luis Obispo, uh, we lived with my grandmother for a year, and she has always gone to farmers market. Right on. Um, and she's she's a depression era. I mean, she's ninety four, mm-hmm. and uh, she's always gone to farmers market because the quality is better, and she just yeah. you know she likes that. So that she taught me about farmers market, mm-hmm. and. And I've been going pretty much ever since then. And it's just, I just, I mean, I love food. So food shopping is the best kind of shopping. (laughs) And yeah, outdoors, seeing all the farmers, Mm. seeing all the, you know, seeing the seasonal change of all the foods is so much fun. I I just nerd out Mm -hmm. about it, but. What's your favorite market here? Uh, okay. Well, I Templeton girl. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Atascadero. So I like the Atascadero market actually, Mm because it's super relaxed and you know downtown uh it's really it's really pretty right in the sunken gardens but i do so i go to that one but i also go to templeton just because there's you know it's bigger and there's more variety and yeah 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 so what about you i get the slow veg um veggie box such a good job they really do um i Sometimes when I have to cancel it because I go on vacation and then there's like a week where I don't have it and I go to the grocery store and buy like from Ralph's and then I'm like, this isn't, like, how can I eat this? <laughs> I'm a total snob eating slow veg. <laughs> but yeah, I had a farm box when I lived in San Francisco, I had a farm box and I just got really used to not making the decisions, you know, not going into a grocery store and thinking like, what do I need? What am I going to get? But instead this other way of cooking, which I think might be more akin to how people did it 100 years ago which is like here's the food I have and what can I make out of it and so sometimes I one box recently it was like kohlrabi and turnips and I was like "Mm, (laughs) mm, gosh (laughs) but you know then I you just figure it out right like what are you going to do with it and what'd you do I I roasted them um I roasted some of them and then I put some in a red lentil soup uh, like coconut red lentil soup and that's partly like also being the daughter of a chef I feel like you know just find um find what there is and make it I think it's also a little bit the influence of the Dominican Republic they had a a a soup called sancocho and my understanding was that it was what you did with like the odds and ends around your house right Mm -hmm. um they also had a dish called cupboard chicken which was the same like you had some chicken and then you go in your cupboard and what do you have and you make it (laughs) and so this like attitude of it's not necessarily about a certain recipe it's just Mm -hmm. the creativity of understanding flavors and right yeah um so yeah i use the slow veg box mm-hmm. i love slow veg box we got their fruit box one mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. which i think they say feeds a family of four <laughs> it could have fed our whole block here <laughs> my kids and it was in winter so it was mm-hmm. all citrus and mm-hmm. my kids were I mean, they're not nobody was getting scurvy last time. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. so great. They demolished yeah. it. <laughs> they pounded it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, fruit is one of those mm-hmm. things that, like we were talking about with Gleenslow, there's mm-hmm. so much fruit here. Yes. There really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids, I was talking to a farmer friend of mine recently who um, has developed something that's really interesting. Um, it's actually a 
he was finding that as he was harvesting broccoli, it was only for the florets because that's, you know, for the mm-hmm. crowns because mm-hmm. that's all that the packers wanted. And so he is looking at this field of broccoli stems, just totally nutritious, nutrition-packed food. Mm-hmm. And he decided to harvest all of that and make these vegetable powders that then go Ooh. into smoothies and and you can marinate your, you know, your um, roast in it and all that. And he's been very successful. But I, I asked him, like, why aren't you putting fruit in? He has a kid's powder. Why aren't you putting fruit in there? And he's like, have you ever known a kid who doesn't like fruit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like it a lot. And I was thinking about my kids with that box. Like, they you will eat as to, much as is there. You yeah. don't need to hide it like the, you do with the broccoli stem. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. The broccoli stem. Yeah. Well, let me ask what I always ask, which is um, if it's your last day on earth and you're celebrating mm, all the good oh work boy. you've done. All the good work you've done. I can tell you thought about this, which is great. Um, what would be your last meal and who would be there? Well, I, I listened to your podcast, so yes. I came prepared. Oh, <laughs> man. And I, so I love, I just love flavor combinations. Mm. So like charcuterie boards and, you know, with all, with all the things, yeah. all the jams, all the fruits, all the meats and cheeses and nuts and cracker bread and you know everything that you just want to throw in there and then you can just mix and match everything um i love that kind of and it's very communal so i like that as well and obviously good wine going with that is even better Mm. um yeah, so I just and outdoors. That as long as like I'm outdoors, it's a picnic. Me. Yeah, it's a picnic, and yeah, closest friends and family. Mm. Um, I think that would be that'd be a good way to go. That Can I be invited? Good. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> is me. it our last day on earth together? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, Ellen, if it's uh, not at Claire's picnic, if it's yeah, if it's not at her, if she hasn't done it for me, um, <laughs> I don't. You know, that's a. Great question that I haven't considered before, and now I'm outing myself that I've never listened all the way to the end. Oh, I <laughs> understand. Podcast. I know. I understand. Um, <laughs> but I, um, my favorite kind of food is Thai food, is like really mm. spicy Thai food. So it'd probably be some kind of like shrimp on a, a like bed of rice and all the mm. great um, savory vegetables. Like that's sort of like savory sweet that is yeah. Thai food. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think of savory food until like after I've had lunch, but I have a very like my brain is like it has to be sweet in the morning, yeah. and then we'll get to savory later. Mm-hmm. I can't like specifically say except it would be umami, yep, mm-hmm. spicy, very spicy, yep, um, wine, mm-hmm. um, and I would anyone would be welcome. I mean, I, <laughs> it's the end of the world. I mean, yeah, why, yeah, why yeah. get choosy, right? Right. That is so true. And yes. I, I think a little bit that's because I don't, you know, I'm not from the area, so mm-hmm. it's not, you know, mm-hmm. end of the world. Can yeah. I, my parents fly out here that quickly? Yeah. Not sure. Oh, oh my gosh, you could have somebody who's <laughs> been dead for years at yeah, your yeah, This is yeah, your day. Go. I yeah. see. Yes, I get it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm going to take the easy way out and say everyone's invited. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. That's Why good. Not? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Claire Tui Moat and Ellen Burke, thank you so much for coming over and chatting with me. Thank you. Thank you, you for, for having us. us. That's it for another episode of the Consumed Podcast. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. To learn more about any of the guests you hear on the podcast, visit letsgetconsumed.com. You can also sign up there for the Consumed newsletter, where I share recipes, side stories, and more. Until next time, thank you for getting consumed together with me.